Hey, repeat listeners, this is episode three in our series. If you haven't heard the first two episodes, I suggest you go back, listen to those first. And a warning, this episode does contain descriptions of violence and some explicit language. I was on the way out from burglarizing the house. When I see the police, I tried to get away because I was committing a crime. I threw the gun out the window. I was there to commit a burglary. All four of the men, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Deputy Gonzalo and Zunza shot at, were arrested. Tanel Billups faced a long list of charges. Four counts of assault on an officer with a firearm, six counts of resisting, two counts of burglary, and one count of possession of a firearm by a felon. The judge set bail at $2 million. Billups claims law enforcement trumped up the charges. They made Billups look like the bad guy, like Deputy Nzunza had to shoot him. And they knew, they, they knew what would happen. They protected their own. Just like a cold blue silence or whatever that cold is they have or something like that. But you know what I'm saying. You're listening to Repeat from KPCC. I'm Annie Gelbertson. This episode, Witnesses in Uniform. It was on prosecutors to prove Tanel Billups' guilt. And they needed evidence to do that. Did they have it? Billups didn't think so, at least when it came to the gun and assault charges. What would a jury make of his DNA not being on the gun? Remember, the sheriff's department had tested the weapon. It's clearly proof that the DNA that was they said that was on the gun is not mine. In the in the in the, uh, the fingerprints or whatever they had on it was not mine. And he said, if, he, if I tossed it down, if I was running with it and hopping gates or running with it and handling it the way it was, and it's my gun, they would have got some kind of DNA or fingerprints off of this gun if I just had threw it down with no gloves on. Clearly, that shows right there that this couldn't have been my gun. I don't know if investigators found fingerprints on the gun, from Billups or anyone else. It's not in any of the records I have. Billups had been in jail for a couple of months when he learned about other evidence, or lack of it that he says throws Deputy Nzunza's version into question. It came from the testimony of witnesses, including other officers. It came out at the preliminary hearing in June 2011. It's a standard hearing, an important one in criminal cases. Prosecutors had to present the minimum evidence to justify charges against Billups. It was up to the judge to decide if there was enough there for the case to move forward to trial. The judge can throw out any baseless charges, or the whole case for that matter. A woman named Jackie Venters came to support Billups at the hearing. She isn't related to him by blood, but the two are close. She met Billups when he was an 11-year-old boy coming around to see her daughter, Lanice. And she thought he was trouble. She didn't like me because she think I had broken her friend's house. So had you? She, no. The neighbor told her that it was a light, uh, light pale-faced guy I seen in the backyard. So they assumed that it was me. Her uh, Lanisa would be like, my mom was here. Got to go. Sneak me out the front door while she was coming in the back door. Things like that growing up. Oh, so Jackie didn't like you at first. <laughs> so, so. 
Told told Lanice she couldn't hang out with you. <laughs> no, no, she didn't want she didn't want me to be bothered with her. So, but through the years. Jackie watched me grow up, so she kind of seen, then she realized that I wasn't too much a bad guy. Jackie works gang intervention. Billups, a gang member, once got shot when he was outside chatting with her daughter. It was the 90s. It was a drive-by. The bullets hit Billups in the arm and his wrist. But Jackie has never seen Billups as dangerous. More like a kid trying to hide his vulnerabilities. Billups stuck around, had two kids with Lenise. Jackie says they're family. I think just God prepared me for this fight with Tanel because he knew he was going to need somebody. And she believes them. To me, it's a cover-up because they don't want this deputy to be held accountable for the wrongful shooting of somebody in the back. Jackie has watched the national debate around police shootings unfold, and she thinks something's missing. The voice of people like Billups, people who have survived and have something to say. I I want everybody to hear the story. My story now is what about the ones that are able to live and tell a story, what happened to them? Every time I meet Jackie, it seems like she has more documents for me, trying to push the story forward. Jackie got a copy of Billups' court file years ago, and she gave it to me. She paid the court $200 for it. Those copy fees are no joke. Jackie didn't have that kind of money lying around. She's still sour about it. And she wasn't sure if it would ever help Billups. Jackie remembers going to that crucial preliminary hearing herself. She made her way through the metal detectors on the bottom floor of the Metropolitan Courthouse in downtown L.A. The building's battered elevators carried her up to Department 69. There, Jackie saw Billups in handcuffs. She sat down, dressed in her Sunday best. Jackie always dresses for court. But when I got there, I was feeling, you know, I was really feeling, like, good because, you know, I think we had got the, oh, I think we had gotten the information back that he was excluded from the gun. What she means is that Billups' DNA wasn't on the gun. The hearing started, and according to records, Billups' public defender at the time, Diane Wiseman, asked if her client could be unhandcuffed for this hearing. Judge Marcelita Haynes said, "Okay, well, I'm going to have a sheriff sit on each side of him, considering he's charged with four counts of shooting at the police. I'm not going to take a risk in an open courtroom, okay? And handcuff him. Mr. Billups, I can tell you, if you try to run away, it will not be good for you. Prosecutors brought five witnesses to testify. The first was the victim, the mother from the house that was burglarized. The second was a witnessing neighbor, Angelica Lozano, a young woman. Prosecutors also charged Billups with attempting to break into her house. That charge was later dropped. She was in her yard when Billups ran from deputies, and she saw him moments before the shooting. The public defender asked her, When you saw him that time, you could see his hands, couldn't you? She responded, One. Where was the other one? His sweater pot in his pocket, she said. Okay, you never saw any guns in his hands or any other weapons, did you? No. No bulge from his pocket, right? The neighbor responds, no. She hadn't seen a gun on Billups. I tried to get in touch with this neighbor, but her sister said she had moved to Chicago, and I never heard back. The rest of the witnesses were law enforcement. Jackie and I went over some of their testimony. According to the hearing transcript, Deputy Jose Larios testified... He saw Billups before the shooting. Larios was in the back alley. The public defender questioned him about it. Jackie's reading from the court transcript. 
It's, um, the question was, when you saw him, you saw him jumping over the fence, right? Correct. You didn't see any guns, weapons, or other property in his hands, did you? No, I did not. Question, like money, jewelry, bracelets? No, I did not. Okay, you, you had a clear view of him. Yes. Another deputy, Luis Samarano, told the court he heard gunshots. According to transcripts, he ran up and saw Billups hiding. You could see his whole body, yes. You could see his hands, yes. No guns in his hands. Not, no, no. No guns that you can see protruding from his pockets, no. Neither of the deputies testified that they saw a gun on Billups. Jackie remembers sitting in court astounded. If these officers did not see Billups with a gun, how could prosecutors be so sure Billups had one? At this point, I'm excited because, it's, it's again, it's excluding him from this gun that you guys are saying that he have, had. But when Azusa got up there, that was just a whole different story. And I was like, wow. Deputy Nzunza, the shooter, was last to testify. What do you, what do you remember about him? I remember that he looked, uh, to be honest to me, it looked like he was, uh, something was wrong with him. Like he was angry or, to me, it looked like he was like. Like cluster? Yeah, and it looked like he was nervous. It looked like he was, uh, uh, like hyper. The judge addressed his demeanor when he took the stand. A couple minutes in, the judge told Nzunza, Quote, I already know you're fired up, and I need you to keep it at a level. You know, no jury here. It's in the transcripts. Nzunza explained to the court that he was on the sidewalk on 92nd Street when he saw the defendant, Billups. The prosecutor asked, where was your partner? Nzunza. At that point, he was behind me. Then what happened? Once he reappeared, the defendant, I saw him. He looked at me. He had a gun in his right hand. And he turned towards our direction, pointing it towards me. That's when I fired one round of my shotgun. The prosecutor went on to ask, How was he holding his gun when you first saw the gun? Nzunza, All I could tell you, ma'am, is he was holding it in his right hand. And he pointed it towards our direction. Prosecutor, Did the defendant fire his gun at that point? If you know. Nzunza, No. The judge jumped in. No, he didn't, or no, you didn't know? No, he didn't. No. Prosecutor, did you say anything to him? Yes. I said, stop, stop, put your hands up. Later in questioning, Nzunza also said he yelled a warning to his partner. Gun. The prosecutor circled back to that moment. How was he holding the gun at that point? Well, when he turned, he pointed it towards me again, with his right hand. Where was your partner? Somewhere behind me again. What, if anything, did you do? At that point, I shot, three to five times, I believe, at the defendant to stop the threat. As Nzunza spoke, Jackie sat attentive. She remembers thinking, it didn't add up. You, you know, you're running for your life. No, you would have had to have the gun in your hand. Or, it, it, it was no way. And it was no way that the, out of all these other deputies that was there, that the shooter, the one that shot him in the back, is the only one that's seen the gun. That don't make sense to me. The judge listened closely until testimony ended. Was there enough to move forward the prosecutor's claims? The judge thought there was for one of the burglaries. Two counts of resisting, 
one count of delaying an officer, the possession of a firearm, an assault against Deputy Nzunza and his partner, who was standing next to him, but didn't see Billups holding a gun. That partner had not been called to testify. But the judge also thought prosecutors overcharged Billups, told them as much. They don't see anything, the judge said, they being the other officers. And I don't see any threats. They don't even see a gun in his hand. She tossed out the claims of Billups resisting, that is, using force or violence against the other officers, besides Nzunza and his partner, officers who never saw a gun. Uh, really, they just was chump, all along, all these charges were chump, trumped up charges to cover up for him shooting me, except for the burglary. Um, but they really didn't have anything else to try and do but to, to cover it up, but charge me all these charges, so I have to plead to something. To get the full picture, there's this other detail from the hearing you need to know about. The prosecutor asked Deputy Nzunza, did you see the gun leave the defendant's hands? Yes, I saw him. I saw him drop it to the floor. Nzunza said Billups dropped it after being shot as he ran to the backyard. Deputy Nzunza testified he picked up Billups' gun himself. He himself collected the gun from the scene. The public defender seemed suspicious. She straight up asked Nzunza, quote, you didn't put the gun there, did you? No. When you recovered the gun, what did you do with it? I put it in the left rear pocket of my pants. I ran all the way back to Zamora and 92nd Street, and I put it in the trunk of my car. Okay, did you bag it in something? No. Any physical evidence would eventually be turned over to homicide. Homicide investigates each time an officer shoots someone. What would they make of this? I talked to a former sheriff's officer, Sid Heal, about proper evidence collection. He calls homicide. He doesn't touch it. He doesn't walk near it. Unless there's some safety reason, it's a homicide handle. And Zunza said there was a safety reason. He said he was trying to keep the gun away from Billups. From records, I can't tell how far Billups would have been from the gun at this point. There's a safety reason, needless to say, he would just go ahead and, and handle it to keep it away from somebody. But, but unless there's some overriding reason to touch it, homicide's got it. In fact, you can, in my department and most departments, you can get days off punishment for doing that otherwise. Homicide will have your rear end. Sheriff's Department officials won't tell me if they disciplined Nzunza for treating evidence this way or if it was deemed appropriate in these circumstances. In general, law enforcement takes evidence handling seriously because treating evidence improperly can increase the possibility of contamination. Questionable evidence can jeopardize an entire case. Just ask Marsha Clark. Deputy Nzunza made another unusual choice after he said he picked up the gun and put it in the car. According to Deputy Nzunza's interview with homicide investigators, he eventually drove the patrol car away from the scene with the gun inside. That's odd, right? There's a bunch of cops on the block at this point. Why not give it to one of them? I count at least seven witnessing deputies. That's just from the few sheriff's department records I have. I spent one afternoon calling everyone I could find a number for. Maybe they saw him collect the evidence. It seemed worth asking. Hi, it's messages for Christopher Oakley. My name's Annie Gilbertson. I am a reporter. At Hi, I'm looking to speak with Trish, Patricia Rines. Hey, I'm looking to speak with... This is uh, Annie Steve Gilbertson. Alaska. I'm a reporter with... KCC. Either they didn't want to talk to me or they didn't answer. 
but I did get one call back. Hi, this is uh, Jose Larios. Uh, call me back. Jose Larios was at the shooting. He and I talked briefly on the phone. I asked what he knew about Nzunza. Larios told me Nzunza was a great worker. He remembered the shooting, but told me he'd have to review his notes before commenting. Larios said I should call back. I did. But I guess he changed his mind because he never picked up. I never heard from him again. Court and Sheriff Department records don't give me many hints as to what Deputy Nzunza did after the shooting. Other deputies at the scene submitted two-page reports, which are among the records given to me by Billups and Jackie. It amazes me how little information you can put in a report. Deputy Nzunza is hardly mentioned. It's like he stepped out of the camera's frame. He was barely in the scene at all. Right after the shooting, one deputy sees Nzunza at 92nd and Zamora, which I know is three houses down from the shooting. He doesn't mention seeing Nzunza pick up a gun. In the end, none of the witnessing deputies wanted to talk to me. And it appears the sheriff's department took issue with my reaching out to officers on their personal cell phones or knocking on their doors. The sheriff's department spokeswoman emailed my boss to complain about my tactics. Then the sheriff's department and the union representing the deputies both put out a memo promising officers their discipline records will be held secret and reminding them that they have the right to refuse to talk to the media when asked about it. Can't blame me for trying, though. One of the doors I tried was that of Nzunza's partner the day of the shooting, Eric Cibrian. From what I have of the case file, Cibrian may be the only witness standing right next to Nzunza the whole time. Who better to say what happened? I found his address. I thought maybe approaching him in person would show I wasn't scary. I didn't bring my recording equipment for the same reason. A man answered the door. He confirmed, yes, he was Eric Cibrian. But when I asked if he worked for the sheriff's department, he said no. I did not believe him. I checked with some of his neighbors, who said they had seen sheriff's vehicles parked in front of the house. I tried Cibrian again, this time by phone. You'll only hear my end because I only recorded my side. Hey, I'm looking to speak with Eric Cibrian. This is Annie Gilbertson, the reporter from KPCC. How's it going? Cibrian was mad. Mad I came to his house. He yelled at me. Quote, you started off wrong with me. I refuse to talk to you. At one point, Cibrian said, I'm not going to go find you at your home. And I thought, well, of course he would. Officers absolutely show up at your door when they want to talk to you. Yeah, I get that you're upset. I mean, like, I just wanted to ask you about the facts of the case. Like, I don't I really don't mean to make you uncomfortable. Could you just explain to me where you said so you. All right, he hung up. Oh my gosh. Okay. But I have records of what Cibrian told homicide investigators. They pulled Cibrian into an interview the night of the shooting. From the records I have, he's the only other officer besides Nzunza to be questioned like this. Sergeants John Fredendall and Ken Clark led the interview. I don't have the tape, only the transcripts. Cibrian said he didn't see why Nzunza opened fire. Sergeant John Fredendall questioned him. Did you ever see the suspect with a gun in his hand? Cibrian, I didn't see a gun in his hand. Cibrian told investigators after the shooting he saw Billups running away. 
The sergeant asked, All right, uh, what happened next? Sabrina said he saw Nzunza go into, quote, the little pathway between the house. Uh, he picked up a gun, uh, and we walked back to our... Did you see where he took the gun up from? He picked it up from the ground. Uh, it right up uh, between the houses. Notice Sibrian is stating what Nzunza did, not what he saw Nzunza do. There's a difference. The sergeant presses him. You were able to see him pick up the gun. That's all I'm trying to get at. Sibrian. Yeah, yeah. Did you see if it was a stainless steel gun or a dark steel gun? I didn't actually focus on the gun. I just saw him pick up a gun. I mean, it looked like a gun to me, but... Okay, the sergeant says. He definitely recovered a firearm. Sibrian. Yeah. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Sibrian made me think there was another way this could have played out. A way neither Nzunza nor Billups say happened. Stick with me. I'll run it by you after this break. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. So for a while, I thought this case had one of two options. Either Billups was telling the truth or Nzunza was. Then it dawned on me that there are many other possibilities. I considered some of these options after learning Eric Sibrian said he did not see a gun on Billups. But he said he saw his partner, Deputy Nzunza, pick up a gun. Then Billups told me something I hadn't known. He has carried guns. I told you about the time he was shot in a drive-by. He was 14 and doing what many 14-year-old boys love to do, chatting with a girl, Jackie's daughter, Lanice. I was talking to her. She was trying to convince me to leave, but I wanted to still hang out and drink some liquor and probably smoke some weed. And I told her, just give me a few minutes. And she's like, come on, let's go. Let's go to my mom's house because my mom's in Vegas. So, and you don't shouldn't be out here, so come on. And I just, like, signed her on. I told her, just wait at least 10, like, like 15 more minutes. And before I knew it, I was, it was some people pulled up and started shooting and stuff. That must have been terrifying for you. And I was shooting, they were shooting, then the, uh, uh, they shot the gun out of my hand and just like that. For real? Yeah. My niece remembers that part. I couldn't even remember that part. She's like, you know, you had you you had that gun, and you, uh, you had they shot it out your hand. I said, what? I don't remember that. She said, well, you, that's what happened. Cause I got fell unconscious. I I bled so much. I went unconscious. Did you hit anybody? No, no. They was just they pulled up and started shooting against, and they drove off real fast. So I okay. probably just probably shot 
I don't know where I shot, but I just was trying to shoot them from keeping them from shooting at me. Did the cops get involved? Mm, no, they they came like about 30 minutes later. Yeah, I was sitting out there bleeding, and we had Compton police then, so they take a long time to come on the scene. So when they did come on the scene, they was uh, they just wanted to know who uh, who was shooting it, where the car go, and what color was it. And I said, I don't know nothing, man. I don't know nothing. I I'm just shot. I need some help. So they said, well, some help is on the way, but just tell us what happened. I said, I don't know what happened. And then I fell out. I passed out. Oh, man. And then did you, were you arrested or anything from that shooting or no? No, no, I wasn't. I woke up in the hospital with the detectives right there, and they were just still asking me, did I know who shot me? Do I want to tell them who it was? And I said, I don't know who it was. It was nighttime. A car just pulled up shooting, and I don't know what happened. I got shot, and that's it. That's all I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they left, and that was it. I got out of the hospital about a month later. Well, but then the the how do you how do you sort of reconcile the your past gun use, you know, with now when the officers accuse you of having a gun? Yeah, that's crazy because uh, <laughs> when I really when I never had, now I didn't have one. Now they accuse me of it. Bills told me about a handful of times he had carried a gun as a teen. Like, well, I've seen everybody else doing this. Hey, get a gun, man. Protect yourself, you know. It's good to have a gun to protect yourself. So I, 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 I assumed that that's what it was, the gun was for, for protection. From what I can see in L.A. Superior Court records, Bills didn't have any convictions for violent offenses prior to being shot by Nzunza. As an adult, which is the part I can see, Bills was convicted for a burglary in 2002 drug possession in 2006. He was sentenced to prison both times. A couple other convictions for driving without a license. But learning he had fired a gun, that changed things in my mind. Got me thinking, did it make it more likely he would be carrying a weapon the day of the shooting? Maybe Billups had the gun on him and ditched it when cops arrived. Maybe he never pointed it. Alejandro Trejo, the other guy in Zunza shot at, said that's what he did. He ditched the gun. In Billups's case, it would explain why the other deputies did not see a gun on Billups while he was running, and why Cibrian said he saw a gun get picked up. It's a question I had anyway. So I decided to run it by Billups. When I was reporting out this case with you and Nzunzai, for a while I always thought like, well, if I look at the documents long enough and if I've, you know, if, if I talk to everybody involved, I'll, I'll be able to figure out if there was a gun there or not. It just seems like eventually you would figure it out. But I, it's like everybody's story's different, you know? And, and, um, and that's one thing that you got to look at. Everybody's story's different. And if something happened, it would be the same. This is how it happened. If you say you've seen something and this is what it was, this is what everybody that was a part of it would say this is what was happening. You know? Well, and it, I, I mean, it occurred to me later that another possibility, and I don't want you to feel like this is a pile-on, but I'm just going to throw it out there, that another possibility would be you had a weapon, you ditched the weapon as soon as you knew the cops were there, and 
then you were shot and then they found a, a weapon later. I mean, nobody oh. says that, but it, but you know, like when the cops show up, everybody ditches a gun, right? Yeah. That's what you do. You ditch it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but I'm just throwing, I'm just throwing it out there. And that's what I used to do in my past. Like when I got convicted, I mean, not convicted, but when I got caught with the gun when I was a teenager, I, my, as soon as the cops put up, I took off running. And I didn't try to pull it out and try to have a shootout with them. I took off running and I hopped the gates and I threw it. And when it's like they caught me on the next block, they said, well, what you run for? I said, I don't know. I just had one. They said, no, we know you probably had a gun. So they went and searched and looked around and came back and said, hey, there's a gun. You know, and... And, and then you're like, it wasn't me. mine. Yeah, that's not mine. And then, but they said, come on, T, we know. And the, 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 the police at the time, they knew me for that, being in that area. I see. That's them trying it- to cover up for this gun, for this police shoot. That's them. 30 seconds remaining. I mean, I just think it's good to just talk all these out. I mean, I don't want you to think that I'm, you know, uh, uh, trying to accuse you of something. I'm just trying to ask all the questions I think of. I wish I could take a lie detector test. I wish it was somewhere I could take a lie detector test and show that. Did you have a gun at any time? And I say no, and I'll pass. Hmm. Fine colors. Hmm. The prison phone line cut out. Our 15 minutes was up. There's one more reason to think Billups had this gun. It's straightforward in a way that much of this case is not. Remember, he took a deal. He told a judge he had a gun. He even got an enhancement for it. Judges can enhance prison time for a felony based on factors such as using a weapon in the commission of a crime. And that's what happened to Billups. Billups says he didn't fully understand He claims he was mentally unstable at the time. From what I can see in court records, the judge asked him directly, Do you also admit that in the commission of the offense, you personally used a firearm? Phillips replied, Yes. The enhancement carried 10 years. It was August 2012, and by this point, Phillips had clocked some 500 days in the jail waiting for trial. He said he started to feel hopeless, desperate even. The plea deal was a way out of the jail and out from sheriff's custody, off to prison. How did you feel like the jail deputies treated you? Oh, uh, it was torture. It was torture. When I first arrived there, they, they slammed me down on the ground, smashed me on my wheelchair, and then when the sergeant came, I said, Sergeant, look what they're doing. And they said I leaped out the wheelchair towards them. Why would I do that when I got like 40-something stitches in my stomach and my leg is swollen? I'm in a wheelchair. Why would I lunge out at you? And you said it was the deputies who did this to you? Yeah, yeah. They said, oh, he's a 245, and that means assault on an officer. So they say, he's a 245, so it's a gang of officers sitting around, big guys, you know, deputies, and so they're like, oh, you like to assault officers, huh? And I said, I, I haven't assaulted anyone. You know, I'm, I'm innocent until proven guilty. So, and then he said, oh, you're a smart ass, huh? And then he, he, he yanked me out the chair. First he said, get up. Take his other, I said, take his wheelchair. So he said, get up out the wheelchair. I said, I can't put pressure on my leg, sir. I was shot in my leg. I still have a bullet in there, sir. And it's, 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 it's hurting. I can't put, and plus my stomach. He said, yeah, what the fuck, whatever. And then just like, trying to like, pull me up. So when I got up, 
he took the wheelchair away, and then the other guy said, oh, uh, he's resistant, so he slammed me down, and that's when, my, when I slammed me down, my stomach bust open, and blood started coming out. So now they're looking like, oh, shit. Like, like and I told him, I said, I told you, sir, I just got out of surgery not too long ago. And he's like, oh, they're looking all like, where was the blood coming from? And I had on a gown with nothing on, just a gown. So he's kind of like trying to lift it to see where's, where's the blood coming from. Your stomach? Yeah. Your stomach incision from surgery? Yeah, yeah. I had just came from the hospital from getting surgery, and I had a incision in my stomach, like about a, I say probably like a nine inch, uh, about a nine inch or maybe 12 inch uh, line going down my stomach from my chest to my, uh, below my belly button, and uh, it was bust open by my belly button. I wanted to verify this story, so I went back to Jackie Venters. I asked her if she could get Billups' medical records from the jail. Jackie, being Jackie, promptly got them to me. Hi, Annie. This is Jackie. I've been attending the party for a while. I received uh, Tanel's medical records. Oh, oh my God, it's a mess. Give me a call when you get a chance so I can get this to you, too. All right, bye-bye. There's nothing documented about a deputy touching Billups in these records. The records say his abdominal incision was separated. It says medical staff applied a new pressure bandage. Actually, it says pressure bandaid, but I think that's a typo. There's another incident I want to tell you about. I read about it in Billups' medical records. It was June 2011, a couple months after Billups was shot. According to medical records, Billups' eyes were bruised and his nose broken. The records said Billups was transferred to the hospital after an assault in line for court. Jackie was telling me about a time that you were coming back from court that she... Uh... Yeah, I was coming back from court, and they told me to go in another cell, and I told them I don't go in that cell. I go in this cell because I'm housed here in the county jail. He said, no, you're going in that one. I said, well, that's the tank to go back to Wayside. I'm not in Wayside. He said, get the fuck in there. So I went in there, and when I went in there, there was two guys in there from my rival enemies, and they jumped up and started beating me up, and then uh, the officer snatched me out, and when he snatched me out, they sit back down laughing, and then he slammed me into the wall, and that's when I fractured my nose. And I'm like, man, why is y'all doing this to me, man? And he said, shut the fuck up. Stop resisting. Stop resisting. And I'm like, man, I'm not re- I'm not even resisting. I've never been resisting in my life. I never got an assault on anybody. Like, what are you guys doing this for? And then a uh, sergeant came, and he said, well, take him to the hospital. So that's when they took me to LCMC State Hospital, and uh County Hospital and I, uh... They were that... The injuries... I, this call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. The injuries were I that bad? They were that uh, bad you had to go to the hospital? Yeah, I couldn't see. Yeah, I, I couldn't see. My tooth, my, tip, my teeth was chipped. Uh, my eyes were swollen and shut. I couldn't see. So they had to send me to LCMC Hospital to get x-rays and to check my teeth and get my eyes checked and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, my nose was fractured. I mean, do you think it was like an accident that they sent you into that cell with those rival gang members? No, no, that was no, no, that was no accident because they seemed like they was waiting. They didn't ask no questions. They didn't ask where I was from or nothing. As soon as I walked in, they just started whooping on me, and they were saying that they they were saying they game while they was doing it. 
and a deputy standing right there. Do you know if that one was investigated? I don't know. Well, I, I was sent off to the hospital, so I was in the hospital, and then I got out, and they had kept me isolated from everybody, so I don't know what was going on. The Sheriff's Department did not respond to questions about these incidents. I should point out that this happened in 2011, a year in which stories about beatings and accusations of corruption in L.A. County's jails were all over the news. The FBI was investigating. The ACLU of Southern California documented attacks on inmates, and they found, quote, deputies repeatedly pit inmates against other inmates, using them as pawns to carry out acts of violence. A former FBI agent is quoted in the ACLU report as saying this was likely a way for deputies to inflict violence, quote, without getting their own hands dirty. There were other things about Billups' situation in the jail that made his life difficult. He told me he felt mentally unstable. Billups' medical records indicate a history of depression and bipolar disorder. These records state Billups received medication while in jail, but at times he refused to take it. A couple of different times, conditions in the jail are mentioned in Billups' court records. One is dated May 2011, a month after the shooting. It's an order submitted by Billups' lawyer to a judge. It says, order. The sheriff is directed to allow the defendant to, one, shower, two, make phone calls, two per week, three, have visits with family, four, review housing so Mr. Billups can be treated for major psych disorders. At the bottom of the court record is some swirling cursive with the judge's initials, HRM. Quote, okay for meds for psych disorders. As to one, two, three, denied. The word denied is underlined twice. I take this to mean no showers, no phone calls, no visits. Billups would eventually get all three, but he told me for weeks he had been denied showers and had to bathe in the sink. Then, in August, nearly five months after Billups was shot, I see another order, another request for a shower. I asked the sheriff's department about this. In a statement, the spokeswoman said, quote, Our records indicate he filed no grievances regarding these issues. So she said they could not comment. In general, the department said it strives to give showers to inmates once per day. Billups told Jackie about how he'd been treated in the jail, back when all this was said to be going down. Jackie saw it as a power play. The sheriff's department was showing they were in command. In my eyes, they know that all this stuff is not right, that this deputy shot this man five times in the back and he don't have a gun, but under pressure, he's going to break. And that's what he did. Under pressure, he broke and took a deal because he was afraid. Taking on the sheriff's department began to feel insurmountable. I can't even describe the feeling. It's like, uh, um, I'm going to tell you this. This is how bad it hurt me. I think I probably could have accepted the death more so than see him going through this torture. That's how bad I was hurting for him. I couldn't do anything to help him. If I could afford an attorney or could afford to bail him out, I would have. Because I could have held him and, and comfort him and let him know that, you know, it's going to be okay. But I can't do nothing. And every time I turn around, you know, some, they're doing something to him. When Jackie heard prosecutors had offered a plea deal, she encouraged Billups to take it. 
At first, Billups felt differently. A part of him believed he still had a chance at trial. He said he tried strategizing with his public defender, Deborah Sims, but he complained she wasn't up for trial. Deborah Sims and the public defender's office both declined to comment for this story, even though I had a waiver from Billups. Deep down, Billups was afraid. Afraid of a life sentence. The possibility never left his mind. On the bunk, in the halls, he said jail wore him down. He grew supple to a plea deal, like a piece of fruit slowly ripening in a brown paper bag. So did you feel like it was just like going to be you versus the deputy's words in court? I mean, I don't know. Exactly. That's a exactly. hard thing to go up against. Yeah, especially because, you know, like, that's my word. And then I thought about my past. I'm like, well, I'm going to get found guilty on the burglary because of my past anyway. That's going to give me life sentence right there, 25 to life, you know? So I was, I thought about that, and I was like, wow, man, I, I hey, man, I got it. I just had felt I, this was the best thing I could do at the time because I didn't have any representation like, as far as somebody that can, you know, fight for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't realize that the burglary, is that from the three strikes law? The yeah, burglary? yeah. Just, okay. Yeah, just, it was a felony, so I could get struck out. Mm-hmm. Could've, they could have struck me out and gave me 25 to life and plus uh, enhancements. They could have doubled it up to uh, uh, two life sentences with 50 years. For just the burglaries or also the assault just the, bur- just the burglary. I hadn't realized the burglaries alone could have sent him to prison for life in California. In exchange for his guilty plea, Billups got a sentence of 27 years and four months, and prosecutors agreed to strike the strike. It's a lot less time than 100 years to life. And more than 90% of the nation's criminal cases end like this, in guilty pleas. The deal offered Billups a lesser sentence, but it was contingent on him taking that gun charge. What I do know is he ended up pleading guilty to the burglary at the house Deputy Nzunza saw him at, plus an earlier burglary that was joined to the case. Prosecutors said they got him on a security camera tape in that one, plus resisting an officer and a gun enhancement. Jackie went back to court, this time for sentencing. She wrote a letter and gave it to the judge. And I told him, Tanel is not a bad person. I feel like he was a, a child that the system failed from being raised by a mother that was a, a heroin. An eight-year-old that started doing things as a way of survival in the streets and being biracial, you know, it was worse because his mother was a Caucasian and Compton and, and that was emotional. For him, too, growing up to see his mom walking the boulevard. You know, people don't understand what these kids go through and why they're in situations like they are. And that that's another thing. Uh, you know, I, I, I went over and beyond to me but trying to help because I care, not just for Tanel. I have a passion for uh, people and the right thing, and he was being uh, wrong. So it's just always more complicated than people make it out to be. Yes. I came I think I still have the letter. It might be in a computer, but it it was very emotional for me and then I put a, a, a picture of his children in there. And this judge took that picture and passed it around the whole courtroom. 
It was her request for mercy. There would be no trial. No possibility for a jury to examine the evidence and decide if it proved Billups had that gun. I hoped I could figure it out myself, but after months and months of reporting, I can't be sure. None of the deputy witnesses would talk to me. And the more information I uncovered on my own, the less sure I was about what happened. Still, I stand by my expectations. My expectations to know what happened in these police shootings, to know how it happened, and to feel like the information has integrity. This is not an unreasonable expectation. And it is an expectation that has gone unmet. You and I, as members of the public, we are often blocked from these investigative records. The Sheriff's Department has decided not to release them. It's the agency's choice under California law. And it is the same choice officials make each time I've asked for a case file of an officer's shooting. It makes it difficult to know if I can trust the department's findings. Difficult because the Sheriff's Department has a history of failing to respond or sometimes even acknowledge deputy violence. That's according to a Blue Ribbon Commission investigation. That's according to civil rights advocates and even members of the department. With the power to investigate your officers comes the power to influence these investigations and determine the course of justice. And the Sheriff's Department has a history of misusing this power. We'll get to that next time on repeat. Thanks for listening to Repeat from KPCC. Our editor is Evelyn LaRubia. Additional reporting from Aaron Mendelson. Production from James Kim. Trisha Tonko is our fact checker, and our designer is Katie Briggs. Our music was composed and performed by Andrew Epen. Thanks to the KPCC product, digital, and engineering teams. Our senior producer is Arwin Champion Nix. I'm Annie Gilbertson. If you want to support more work like Repeat, I have great news for you. You can do just that. Just go to kpcc.org slash repeat and make a donation. If every Repeat listener gave $1 per episode, we could fund a whole other investigative series. That's kpcc.org slash repeat. While you're there, you can find a link to our Facebook group. I'm there every day engaging with listeners and sharing more about what I have learned while reporting this series. I'd love to answer your questions and hear your thoughts. 